Th this particular um, study is not going to be for young families only, although there's things that we're going to talk about that address the issue of dealing with young children. Uh, we, de we dealt with that in detail last uh, time we did a marriage and family series. So if you want to know how to discipline, you know, little Johnny or Mary or whatever, you can, you can grab a, a tape on that. Um, but the parallel here is that not only is there discipline in the family in which God uses to help us to understand the discipline also in the family of God. And, uh, you know, we have children that we discipline, and God gives us guidelines to do that. But as God's children, he uses the same type of guidelines to discipline us. And so the parallel is there, the discipline of our children in our homes and the discipline of us as a child of God. And uh, so it really affects all of us, whether you have young children at home or not, whether you have grandchildren, wh whatever it is, whether you don't have any kids, you know. Uh, the reality of what God teaches as far as how to discipline uh, our children illustrates how he will intend to discipline us as well. So this particular study is going to deal with, you know, the whole problem of discipline. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll use it as an introduction because in this particular session, section of Scripture, God quotes from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, we'll use that to, to tie it together. But in Hebrews chapter 12, near the back of the book, he gives us some insight as to this discipline process. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through, through 13. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I like the next section, and he says, Therefore, because of this, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In this particular section of the Bible, God quotes from the Old Testament, and, and, and it has to do with our study in the book of Proverbs. He, quote, he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 11. He says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, if you're like me, you, you ask yourself certain questions. And it's like, okay, this whole discipline process, you know, if God disciplines us and if he loves us and he'll discipline us, you know, when does he do that? Kind of like, you know, dealing with our children, you know, how much can I get away with? How far can I go? What line can I draw? And, you know, what can I, you know, get away with basically before God steps in and starts to enact this discipline process? Um, you know, why does he do it? You know, when does he do it? Why does he do it? You know, how do, what's the process that he uses to do it? 
You know, and those simple questions are what we'll, we'll use basically as our outline. Uh, you know, what's the purpose of it? What benefit is there for me to be disciplined by God? And you've got to ask yourself the same question. What's, what's, the, what's the purpose of discipline? What's some of the problems associated with it? And what's the process that God uses to discipline his children? And that's very simple, and that's what we're going to discuss. You know, it's obvious from what it says in this particular passage that, you know what, it's for discipline. And he says, you know what, and, and no discipline is enjoyable. You know, if you look at it, it doesn't seem to be a whole bunch of fun going through it when we go through it. And anybody that's been disciplined realizes it's not a fun experience as you're going through it. I'll never forget to this day, I think I was in fifth grade, uh, we had a football coach who had, we called him Coach Popeye. He had forearms that looked like Popeye. And, uh, and, uh, and we were doing something, and I don't know how I was associated with this. But evidently, we did something that he wasn't real excited about, and he grabbed like three of us, and he took us to the front of the class, and he grabbed out this big stinking paddle that he had, and he said, boy, and he, and he used the line, the classic all-time favorite line, which is, parents, would you please repeat after me, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You know, I, I, as Discipline 101, I don't know where we learned that. We, we just heard that. We passed it along. We sit by the campfire, you know, rites of passage with our children. This is a line you'll use one day, son. This will hurt me more than it hurts you. And I said the same thing under my breath. Right. <laughs> you know. But, and just when we were just kind of like, you know, we don't want, I mean, you're playing football for the first time in your life. This is a football coach. You don't want to kind of, you know, grovel too terribly much. And you don't want the rest of the class seeing you're ready to cry because you know this is going to hurt. And uh, so you kind of turn to him and you start kissing up as best you can with no one hearing it. Oh, please, I swear we'll run extra wind sprints tonight. We'll do anything you want to do, but just don't paddle us in front of everybody. And he just said, and, and, and right when we thought we had him, my, my, my friend, ex-friend, <laughs> says this. <laughs> he, he said this. He goes, well, you know what? We don't feel good about hurting you, so let's just let it go this time, but try not to let it happen again. And it wasn't real funny, um, you know, and, and it hurt. And it still hurts. And, uh, you know, and remembering that, it's like, I, you know, having, having gone through discipline, you just know, this isn't fun. That's not fun. But, man, I learned something from it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I learned. You know, who you hang out with, you know, what you say, maybe like what you do uh, to lead into those things, how embarrassing it is. You know, it's like... You know, not tying your tie long enough. You know, it's just, you know, those things scar you for life. They, they do. <laughs> you know, those little things like that, they just scar you. But I guess if you have your tie long enough, it doesn't matter whether your zipper's up or down, does it? Like, I mean, what is, I mean, what's the deal with attorneys anyway? You know, they, they get paid by the hour, not by the job. And um, it's like... You know, they can stand and take a lot of time to tie their tie. <laughs> if you ever talk to one of them on the phone, you know what I'm talking about. Can we just get right to the point? Are they just on the clock or off the clock? <laughs> but um, anyway, where were we? <laughs> oh, and then I was. I did get a response, too, by the way, on the, um, on the ad that I ran for clean attorney jokes. And I just was handed one in here. <laughs> Now, you've got to keep this in the proper frame, okay, because I know there's some people that are real sensitive, and, and I know I'll get a note or a letter on this, but, you know, try, try to understand this is uh, strictly from a, a biological or anatomical point of view. Pretend for a moment that you're in a science class. 
the question is, what does a sperm cell and an attorney have in common? What is? They both have a one chance in a million of becoming a human being. Thank you very much. So you just keep those cards and letters coming, folks. And any letters I get, I'll pass back to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, problem of discipline. Anyway, um, to fully appreciate it, I think we need to understand there's three levels that are involved. And just kind of lay some background out a little bit. But uh, Bruce Nairmore writes in a book, his book, Help, I'm a Parent. He begins to explain the whole discipline process. He says that discipline is, is not simply being punished. Discipline involves three levels. Number one, the level of instruction. It says proper discipline gives guidelines and verbal warnings telling a child how to do things correctly. Number two, it involves training, guiding, living an example in front of your children so that they can see the proper way to conduct their lives in certain situations. It's being alongside them, being there as he or she learns this process. The third thing is that there's correction involved and that there are appropriate measures that, that, are take, that take place when disobedience occurs. And it's interesting, too, that he notes that disobedience can only occur after the ability to comprehend and perform it correctly has been reached. And so it's, it's, it's difficult to discipline someone or, or to, uh, to correct them if they don't understand how to do it properly. And so if you take all that into proper context, when, when God deals with us as adults, probably the best example of it is found in the life of Jesus who had his disciples and he spent time instructing them training them and when they got out of line there's many instances in scripture where he corrected them hey no that's not right what you're thinking is not right uh, what you're saying is not right what you're doing is not right what you need to do is this and he would walk alongside them and spend a lot of time with them and so as a as a disciple and there's no greater disciples than any of us should ever have than our own children uh, they should exemplify everything that we do what we say, what we do. And, and the only time you know is when you do something stupid is when they say something that you've said and repeated and it doesn't sound quite as funny coming out of their mouth. You know, we've all been there when they said something to someone that, that maybe you have said behind the closed doors and they repeat it and when you hear it you go, gee, that doesn't sound very good. Why did I say that? And so we learn by listening to them as to really what's going on in our life. And so Jesus did the same thing. He discipled, he, he uh, taught, he corrected, he instructed. And uh, they became disciples of him. Literally, it means disciplined ones. And so when you think about what we're going to talk about, the problem of discipline is we need to understand what discipline is designed to teach us. Because that's really what it is. It is a teaching tool used by God and also used by parents to instruct, to train, and correct properly. And so we'll just go through it. What's, what's the uh, purposes of discipline? We'll take a look at five of them uh, from the book of Proverbs, uh, one in this particular passage that we used in, in Hebrews. But the purposes of dif discipline, number one, is to produce wisdom. Grab your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 22. The purpose of discipline is to produce wisdom. And it's interesting because in Proverbs 22, look at verse 15 for a second. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And uh, evidently, what God is saying to us is, you know what? The, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. 
apparently what God is trying to get across to us is, is that we cannot become wise without discipline. You see what he says? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We can't become wise without discipline. There's no way we can, quote, learn a lesson without discipline. And the problem is in, in eight from the standpoint that we've got a problem in our own hearts. And that is that we are foolish people and we need to be trained, instructed, and corrected to live a life that's right before God. We don't know how. And so sometimes what happens is we see publicly the process that takes place as far as the discipline and the reason that it happens is to produce wisdom because we don't know how to live right before God. Many of us, particularly those who have become Christians later in life, have already learned certain patterns and habits and ways to live that are not pleasing to God. And that's what we learned. That's what we, we saw you know, exemplified in our homes. That's the, the pattern that we followed. Those are the habits that we developed. And therefore, we thought that it was okay. But what he's saying is it's not necessarily okay. It has to be checked against what God says is right or wrong. And so the purpose of discipline is to produce wisdom and better yet, to remove foolishness from our hearts. And uh, in, in, in Proverbs 29, 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child that's left to himself will bring shame to his mother. The key to understanding it is the word foolishness. Foolishness literally means thick, dull, and sluggish. Now some of you are thinking, I know that boy. I know, I know her. She's, she has my last name and she's younger than me. You know, it's that whole thing again. But it refers specifically to the things of God. All through the book of Proverbs, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, in the book of Job, for example, Job said to his wife, you know, right, right now, you're speaking as one of the foolish women when she said to him, curse God and die. He said, you're, you're like one of the foolish women who doesn't recognize God's presence in our life and God's purposes for our life. And he says, you're like one of those foolish women that say those kind of things. See, foolishness is indicative of a person that says there is no God. They have no sensitivity to spiritual things. And so what he's saying is all of us to some degree have that problem because of sin nature. All of us, to some degree, struggle with, you know what? Do I accept the authority of God in my life? Do I accept the Word of God as authority? Do I live according to what God says in His Word? Or do I do what seems right in my own understanding? Then we know from the book of Proverbs is that, you know what? Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in everything, and He'll direct your paths. So you can't lean on what you know, because what you know might not be the right thing. And so you've got to go back to the Word of God and you've got to lean on Him and not on yourself, not on your own understanding, not on your background, not on the way you were raised, not on the example that was laid forth uh, in, in some, somewhere in the foundation of your life. But you've got to understand the purpose of discipline is so that God will teach you how to live right. Because we don't know how. You know, and as you go through this, it's interesting because a picture of a fool in the Bible, there's not a, real, there's not a real healthy outlook. Proverbs says that, you know what, for a fool there is no hope. None. So the only hope that we have is leaning on and recognizing what God has to say. And so the purpose of discipline, if you want to boil it all down, is this. The purpose of discipline, the reason that parents discipline their children, the reason that God disciplines us, is to teach us the difference between right and wrong. That's it. It's to teach us the difference between right and wrong. Now I want to challenge you to consider something for a moment. We live in a society that is trying to, in every way possible, help us to believe 
that there are no absolutes. That there is nothing right and there is nothing wrong. It's whatever you perceive to be right or wrong. I went through that. I, I think I mentioned it to you once. Where uh, at a former place of employment, uh, one, one of the guys that were there that I had a chance to share with, and ultimately, you know, he came to know the Lord, and uh, his wife decided to leave him. And uh, he asked if I'd go to have lunch with the two of them. And those are always fun lunches. Uh, you know, and I was like, okay, you know. So we went and we had lunch, and I specifically to this day remember looking at her face and saying, you know, why are you doing what, what you're doing? And she said, well, you know what? Because, you know, I, I want to be happy. I want to find myself. It was all those cliche things. And she said, and, and, and I said, well, you know, don't you sense that anything's right or wrong? And she goes, well, yeah. I mean, if I hurt other people, then that's wrong. I said, okay, that's a good gauge. And I looked at her husband. And I said, let me ask you something. If she leaves and continues to do what she's doing, will that hurt you? And he said, absolutely, with tears in his eyes. That'll destroy me. And I looked at her and said, well, let's go back to what you just said. You said that you wouldn't do that, which hurts other people. And she just looked at me like, well, that doesn't count. Well, why not? See, there's no right, there's no wrong. And even the standards that we impose in our own mind after a period of time, we can break that down and show how, how unrealistic they really are. There are absolutes. There are things that are right. There are things that are wrong. They've been eternally right, and they'll be eternally right, and they'll be eternally wrong, and they're eternally wrong, and that's just the way that it is. And it doesn't change because a whole bunch of people decide they're going to change it, and it doesn't change because you can be in a group of people that you're all in agreement that what you're doing is right. It doesn't make any difference. The standard is greater than mankind. The standard is the Word of God. And God says what's right, and God says what's wrong. So don't fool yourself by hanging out with people that are like-minded in an area that's wrong before God and think that somehow you're okay. You're not. And it's no wonder we've got a generation of kids that are all messed up because they don't know what's right or wrong anymore because we've done everything in society to eliminate discipline as part of the teaching tools uh, that we're to use to help them understand the difference between right or wrong. I mean, I could just see old Coach Popeye bringing out a paddle today and trying to paddle somebody in his classroom. The ACLU and every other idiotic group that's out there that doesn't have a clue what's right or wrong and defends everything but Christian, Judeo-Christian principles and values. They come to the aid of anybody and everybody except those who stand for godly principles. And there's such a contradiction there and it's obvious to everybody but them. Could you imagine as a teacher trying to discipline someone in a classroom? Oh, he, t he talked to me wrong. He spoke to me wrong. He looked at me wrong. He said this wrong. The school board calls. The principal calls. Next thing you know, you're sued. Why? Because you wanted to do what's right. You wanted to try to instill a value system that says, that's wrong what you're doing. It's wrong, Jimmy, to bring an Uzi into the classroom. <laughs> well, who says, man? <laughs> and the problem is by the time they're all done, hey, you know what, you're right, nothing's right, nothing's wrong, do whatever you want to do, and you know what? And that's where lawlessness and chaos and rebellion and sin abounds, and it's disastrous for society. Isn't that crazy? I mean, is this just simple stuff or is this like, like what? I don't know. You just look at that and go, okay, you just read it and that's what the Bible says. The purpose of discipline, the reason that we discipline our children, the reason that God disciplines us is to make us to realize the difference between right living and wrong living. That's a good reason. 
Can you imagine? Man, see, sin is bound up in all of our hearts. And we need a Savior. And we also need discipline to teach us and produce wisdom in our life. Which leads to right living. And right living means that sometimes you've got to change your behavior. If you're doing what's wrong, now start doing what's right. I like what one guy told me this morning. He goes, man, you know what? I was really convicted about some things on laziness. And I went home and did some things about it. Hey, that's what this is all about. You learn from the Word, then you live it. That's it. That's pretty simple, huh? That was worth the price of admission, don't you think? And you got some songs out of it and a couple cheap attorney jokes. But, <laughs> but what's the purpose of discipline? Number two, look at the second thing, and you can't get away, with it, away from this because this is important to understand. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Now, any child struggles with this. And the funny thing is, you know, it, it's interesting if you think about it, I know 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70-year-old people who are foolish and children in the eyes of God. So age isn't, you know, the thing that's going to cure everything here. Obedience to the Word of God is. And so here in Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, look what it says. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. And every child in the universe says, oh, right. <laughs> you know, and every parent says, amen. That's a great passage of scripture. I like that. Now, you've got to understand, too, if that's good for you and your children, it's good for God and you. Right. <laughs> you know? Don't hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. Look what it says. That discipline, the purpose, is to provide protection in our life. Any parent in the world understands this truth. The reason that I discipline and my wife, we discipline our children, is because we want to protect them from the consequences of making wrong decisions. There isn't a parent in the world that doesn't understand that. You want to protect them from the consequence of making wrong decisions. And you know what? And God wants to protect us from the consequences of wrong decisions. See, a kid thinks that his parents disciplines him because he doesn't want him to have fun. Man, you just don't want us to have fun, do you? And then as adults, we say the same thing to God. Man, you know what? God must not want us to have fun either. Because if the reason you, you, that you discipline your children is so they don't have fun, then that's what you're going to think God disciplines you for, and that's not true. The reason you discipline your children is to protect them from the consequences of wrong decisions. In high school, we had three guys on our football team that uh, got drunk and uh, went out one night and as they were driving down the street turned to bend and two of them in the front seat fell out and they were killed instantly when they hit the concrete I learned something from that I never want that to happen to my kids I don't want that to happen to my kids do you? no way I know the consequences of making wrong decisions I've seen it and I'm not that old I've seen it plenty of it and the more people you get involved with, the more, more you realize there's not anything fun about it. I've seen the consequences of adultery. I've seen the consequences of divorce. I've seen the consequences of sexual immorality. I've seen the consequences of laziness. I've seen the consequences of lying and gossip. And I've seen the consequences of, you know, you name it, of outbursts of anger. And you look at the Word of God and you see the consequences of it and you begin to realize that, you know what? I am going to discipline my children for the purpose of teaching them that, number one, I love them and want to protect them from the consequences of making wrong decisions. 
Now that's just me in this little dot of, uh, of infinity that we call time. That's just me. That's what I've seen. I haven't seen much. I haven't seen as much as some of you. But I know this. What I've seen, I want to protect my children from the consequences. Now for imagine, think about this. Can you imagine what God has seen throughout human history? The consequences and the tragedy and the heartache and the sorrow and the brokenness of the consequences of mankind making decisions that are wrong before God. Can you even imagine what God sees? How much more do you think he wants to protect us from those same consequences? See, if you can understand why parents discipline their children, then you can begin to realize why God disciplines us. He doesn't want you not to have fun. The only people that can really enjoy life, an abundant life, and enjoy everything about this life are those that are disciplined by God to learn the difference between right and wrong living and continually choose to do what's right before God. And for those, Jesus said, I came to give them life and I give it to them abundantly. See, there's no rear view mirror. You're not checking out, seeing if it's going to catch up with you. You're not wondering how far you can get along with it or away with it and when you're going to get caught and when it's going to happen and when it's all going to hit the fan. You don't have to worry about any of those things. You can go to bed every night and be right with God and sleep comfortably knowing that there's nothing in your past that's going to come back to haunt you. Isn't that great? Hey, that's a great way to live. That's how I want my children to live. I want them to know the reason we discipline them is because we want to protect them from the consequences. And also, you notice too, in, in uh, <clears throat> Proverbs 29, 17, which is rather interesting, is that it promotes family happiness. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Correct your son and he'll give you rest. Yes, and he'll give delight to your soul. Isn't that great? Correct your son or your daughter and he'll give you rest. Man, there's nothing. I'll tell you what. You ever walk into a house where there's like absolute turmoil and chaos going on? Man, I'll tell you what. I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you that somewhere along the line that the principles of discipline are being violated somewhere. When rebellion and chaos abounds, there cannot be discipline somewhere in that process. There's just not. It's like amazing to me, man, what some people let you know, their children get away with. And it's chaotic. It's chaotic for the rest of the family. It's chaotic between the, the uh, husband and the wife. It's chaotic in the relationship with their other children. It's chaotic between siblings. It's a disaster when there's somebody out of control and it's not disciplined. Because the example that they lay forth is, hey, you know what? Sally's getting away with it. Wait till I'm her age. I'll do the same thing. Johnny's getting away with it. All right. I can do the same thing. And little brother, little sister, they're watching what's going on. And that's the tough thing about being the oldest child. Because, you know, you're really setting the precedent. And it's kind of, you know, it's tough, but it's also good. And it's good for the younger children if they listen because they've seen what happened. They go, ha glad that she did it and I didn't. I'm learning from this stuff. And uh, you know what? And same thing with the family of God. When there's somebody out of control in God's family, in the church or wherever, it's a disaster. It's a nightmare. It's nothing but chaos and confusion and rebellion. And God steps in, and when everybody's disciplined and everyone's doing what's right and living right before the Lord, man, there's nothing better. It's the closest place to heaven there is on earth when God's people are all doing what's right before God because it's, it's separated, it's holiness, it's, it's different from the rest of the world, and nobody else can understand it and identify with it or even to re recognize it. And the purpose of it always to draw people to Jesus Christ. When you and I are living a disciplined life, living a right life before God, it's a tremendous testimony before the world. Number four. 
gives you insight into God's love, which we've already talked about. Uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, don't despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. That's what we've already talked about. This was quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. Parents, listen to me, parents that care for their children will discipline them. It's as simple as it gets. I remember talking to our oldest daughter about this whole thing, you know, and, and uh, you know, like many of you, you know, your sons or daughters or whatever are seeing and uh, they're around people who, you know, you know, kids that can do anything they want to do. Come and go as they please. Do what they want to do. And uh, I distinctly remember telling every one of our kids as we'd sit down and we'd confront this issue. I said, you know what? Well, I just, I feel really bad for so-and-so because it's obvious that her parents don't love her like we love you. Man, you know what? And that same girl that my daughter would talk about, their family broke up. She's now out on her own. She's doing what she wants to do. And, uh, and she's just miserable. And she'd come to our house and she'd say, man, I wish this was what our family was like. But it's not, so I guess that's the way it is. And then she'd just do her thing. And it's true, not because we said it, but it's true based on the Word of God. Parents that love their kids will discipline them because they care enough to confront, they care enough to go through the aggravation, they care enough to go through the process and there's nothing fun about it, not for us who discipline and not for the one being disciplined. But it's a battle worth fighting. And we better never give it up. You love your children, then you discipline them. And you know, as true as that is, guess what? God loves you. Guess what? He cares enough to discipline. He cares enough to step in. He cares enough to say, enough is enough and you're not doing it anymore. You may fool the rest of the world, but I know your heart, I know what you're doing, and I'm stepping in, and it's time that I take you to the woodshed. And God does that. Why? Well, one, he wants to remove foolishness from us. He wants us to live right before him. Two is he wants to protect us from the consequence if we continue going the direction that we're going. Three, family happiness in the body of Christ. He wants to also give us insight into the fact he loves us enough that he cares to confront us. To say, hey, you're not going to do this anymore. And the fifth thing is, it, it relates to submission and respect. And in Hebrews 12, 9, we talked about that. In the, in the passage, he says, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us. And guess what? We paid them respect. We paid them respect. And it's interesting to me, too, that God recognizes that human fathers, and me included, don't always do the right thing. We may think we're doing the right thing, and we may try to do the right thing, but as much as we try, we're not perfect, and sometimes we, we don't do the right thing. And God says, well, how much more will he do the right thing because he's perfect, he's holy, he knows what to do, and there's never any question about is he doing the right thing or not. He always knows. And so it relates to submission and respect. The purpose of discipline is to teach us the importance of recognizing authority in our life. We all have to be subject to authority. To human authority so that we can practice being submissive to the authority of God. I can't respect the authority of God if I do not respect the authority that he's established on the face of this earth. I can't talk out of both sides of my mouth. 
I can't say, oh yeah, I trust God, believe God will do what he says, and then not do what the earthly authority that he's placed over me tells me to do as long as it doesn't conflict with the word of God. I need to understand the value of that. Why do I discipline my children? Because I want them to respect authority. Not me or fear me as an individual, but to understand the purpose of parents in the household is an authority figure that God has placed to discipline them, to teach them the things that we just talked about. I want them to understand that so that when they leave our home and they go out into the world, that when they work for somebody, they respect their authority. When there's laws that they need to be obeyed, they respect the authority of the, of the law. When they go to school, they respect the teacher that stands before them. I want my children and understand this so that they can learn because that's the only way that they'll ever be submissive to the Word of God. That's the way it works. What's the purpose of discipline? That's what it is. Number one, produce wisdom. Remove foolishness. Teach us how to live right and teach us what we're doing is wrong. Number two, to protect us. From what? From all the consequences of living wrong. And there are millions of them. We need to believe that. There is nothing fun that comes with the sin package. You know, this isn't a club med thing, you know. Like, here, this, here's your sin package, you know. It's like, you know what the amazing thing is? The Bible is very clear that sin is pleasurable for a short time and the consequences always exceed the length of time that you enjoyed it. There are people that had a minute worth of pleasure that have been consequences for 50 years of their life. See, that's one little thing that Satan doesn't share with us. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, you know, if you do this, it's going to be fun, but the rest of your life is going to be totally miserable. He says, go for it. It's an illusion. You know? Oh, it's enjoyable. It's soap bubbles. It looks good. You do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the ugly mask comes, come, you know, the, the pretty mask falls off and the ugly face is there. Promote family happiness. Why does God discipline us? Hey, man, to keep law and order and, and, uh, and harmony and peace among the body of Christ in the family and your own family. It's an insight into how much God loves us. Only people with disciplines about are God's people. And he cares enough to step in. And it relates to submission and respect. Now, one thing that we need to understand um, are a couple of things that go along with it. And we'll do this quickly. Because it's important to, to recognize there are some problems that go along with discipline. The first problem is the problem of neglect. The problem of neglect. We've already seen that, and that is simply this. If you don't discipline your children, I'll guarantee you you're going to experience some problems. God says that, you know what, don't neglect discipline. He who spares his, his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The problem is we've got two choices. One is either we do it or we don't do it. You know, I'm tired, I'm worn out, it's the same old thing, I'm getting tired of the battle, I don't think I'm going to do it anymore, blah, 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 I don't care anymore. And see, that's really funny, isn't it? Because the opposite of, of uh, love in the Bible is hate. But hate, in essence, means apathy, indifference. I don't care. See, he who loves his child will discipline. He who hates his children or doesn't care about his children enough, lets them do their thing. So the problem that we wrestle with is either we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. We need to be committed to continue to discipline according to the Word of God for the purpose of teaching those things that we've already talked about. So there's neglect. And, and I think it would be wrong to, to uh, not mention the fact that we can also become abusive when we discipline. Now, the wonderful thing is that God's not guilty of either. But he gives us instruction as human beings on how to employ discipline in our lives. One, he says, look, you know what? There's going to be a tendency on your part not to want to do it. 
but you need to do it because of the consequences of not discipline. The second thing is that you need to be careful how you do it. Do not become abusive in the way that you do it. Uh, Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Meaning, don't take the wind out of their sails. Don't provoke, Ephesians 6, 4, don't provoke your children to anger. There are ways that you and I can, can employ discipline that provoke a response in our children that isn't, that, that's detrimental to what God's trying to teach us as far as discipline is concerned. You know, you lose the whole thing of discipline if as a parent you're abusive to your children in the area of discipline and they don't learn anything from it because they don't see that it's done the way God says to do it. And so we've got to be careful that we don't become abusive in the process. Um, and you've got to ask yourself the same question. Hey, you know what? The same way that I discipline my children, am I willing to have God discipline me the same way? How would you like God smacking you upside your head or kicking you down the hallway or throwing something at you or pulling your hair or burning you with a cigarette or shoving you under the water in a bathtub? How would you like God to do that to you in areas of your life that aren't pleasing to Him? We've got to be very careful how we employ discipline uh, as far as our children are concerned because we need to recognize the standard that God uses. And so I would be wrong in not sharing that we need to be careful how to discipline how to do it a way that's pleasing to God. And the best way to do it is going back and never forgetting the purposes of it. The purpose, number one, is to drive foolishness from our hearts, to produce wisdom so we live right before God. Purpose number two is to be protecting. How in the world can someone who abuses their children teach them the concept of protection and love? I mean, that's why the hand should be one of stroking and, and, and encouragement and hugging. And that's why God says use a paddle on their backside. And, and he gives very specific instructions on how to discipline our children. Because we're to be teaching that loving protection of God. Why do I discipline you, son? Because I want you to learn how to live right before God. Why do I discipline you? Because I want you to understand the consequences that are out there if you do what's wrong before God. And I want you to be protected from that. And that's what I'm doing. And that's my role as your father. See, and also I want to promote family happiness. I want other, the other kids in our family to see that, you know what, a disciplined family is a family that's going to get along better and be encouraging to one another and there's going to be joy and harmony and peace in a family where there's discipline and somebody's not rebellious and out of control. I want you to see that God loves us enough to step in and cares enough to discipline us. I want you to understand that because that's what I know about our God that he loves me enough to discipline me, and therefore I love you enough to discipline you. I care about you. I don't care what Susie's mom or dad do or don't do. I don't care what Johnny's mom or dad do or don't do. I don't care what they can do. I don't care where they can come in. I don't care where they can go. I don't care about any of that stuff because, you see, I'm not responsible for their lives. But I'm responsible for you. And as God's manager of you while you're here on this earth and for the time that you live in our home, I have got to be a good steward before God. I'm accountable to Him. So don't make this any rougher for me than it already is. This is a tremendous responsibility, and I want you to understand that. So I just want you to know I love you, and I care for you, and I'm doing what God tells me to do. And then the last thing is, because it's going to be good for you, because it'll help you to relate to submission and respect for authority. If my children, according to what I learned from the Bible, if my children grow up and learn to respect me, because of not who I am, but what I represent, then I can be guaranteed that they're going to learn to respect the authority that God brings into their life. That's as simple as it gets. We all need discipline. 
So if we understand the purposes of it, instead of trying to reject it, instead of trying to rationalize our behavior, instead of trying to justify our behavior, what we will do is learn to accept the discipline of God for what He's trying to teach us through the process, knowing that ultimately He has our best interest in mind and that as we live a life that's pleasing to God, other people will look at our life and they'll be drawn by what they see to Jesus Christ. That's some good stuff. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity again to be together. Just thank you for your word and the soundness of what you teach us. God, help us in a way to try to forget maybe the, uh, maybe the distortion of discipline that some of us have experienced in our past. The distortion that causes us not to see it for what it really is. To not see you for who you really are. God, help us to become men and women who employ these principles to teach the purposes of discipline. And as we teach it, to learn and accept it in our own life. God, you are the ultimate authority in everything that you say goes. We're to trust you. We're to respect you and your word. And we're to live our life accordingly. God, help us to be men and women that have principles and convictions that are founded upon your word. That we just don't say it, but that we live it. That we just don't come to hear it, but that we leave to do it. God, help us to stand for something so that this world that has no values and ethics and morals and principles and is chaotic can see that you have a plan and a purpose not just for this life, but also for the life to come. And we just thank you for these truths. In Christ's name, amen.